like rolling out juicers at this moment and saying, who wants some pineapple mango? Not today, maybe next week. I want to welcome you to week six of this series, a nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit, understanding the key ingredient to healthy relationships. Uh, Last week, Stephen did a bang-up job, our Connections pastor, talking about integrity and uh, really goodness and how we get that from from Jesus, and that's the starting point of that. Uh, But really, the key ingredient is not... Love, joy, peace, patience, good. It is really this thought, and I've been sharing this thought every week, and it's this. There's a big difference between a morally good heart and a supernaturally changed heart. And I've been giving this illustration of a stress ball in that you can squeeze this sucker down and change the property of it. You can change the look of it. You can hold it down. You can repress it. You can restrain it. And many times when we're dealing with relationships and we're dealing with realities of life from uh, people that, that, are, that can't be changed, circumstances that are out of our control, uh, problems that are unexplainable, we want it with enough, we think with enough willpower and restraint, we can handle it. We can do it. We can lean into it, biting our bottom lip. But the moment we lose uh, sight of the prize, the moment we get tired, the moment we get distracted, uh, when we let up just a little bit, that, that stress ball goes right back to normal. That situation, we, we, we're trying to be loving, but then, man, that ticks us off and, and we lose it and it, it comes back. And really, it's not about just being a good person. It's not about just having enough willpower and restraint because that's the wrong gospel. That's a gospel based on what you do, not based on who Jesus is and what he's done and how he wants to change us, not by changing the fruit on the limb of the tree, but changing us from inside out with a supernaturally changed heart. I've got a new Nerf Nerf ball today. In fact, this one's got a little logo on it. It says, starting point, your next step starts here. And we want you to be able to, to, uh, in fact, we we want us to come alongside you in the development of a supernaturally changed heart. And if you're here and and you've never gone through starting point next week, as you heard uh, our host say on the video announcements, that's the great time to start. Starts every first Sunday of the month, all the rest of the year. We invite you start in August, get a part of starting point. Uh, how many of you just be honest? You're not going to be convicted, not going to be you know condemned or anything. How many of you, you just ne- you've never been to starting point? Just not, I've never been. Okay. I'm going to get you on the... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, how many of you have been, but it's still like a stress ball because you're stressed out because your kids are, yeah, they're still on break, right? Here we go. Here we go. Oh, I woke somebody up by hitting them in the face. I hit, listen, I hit a blind man in first service. I hit a blind dude in first service. He didn't see it coming. Oh, that one was a fastball. Let's see. We got some, hey, start, these are, get it all the way to the back there. Man, I can't even get it to the back. Somebody's standing up there in the back. Let's see if I got it. Whoa! Man, I got an arm like you wouldn't believe. Oh, snagged it. Snag, oh, I don't got no more, buddy. I was, was going to try and get you out. Hey, check out Starting Point. Check it out in the lobby afterwards. Listen, that is your first stop shop to getting connected at Timber Creek. Now, Let's get back to (laughs) the supernaturally changed heart. The characteristics of a supernaturally changed heart is not church attendance. It's not a cross around your neck. (laughs) A supernaturally changed heart, the characteristics are the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get to choose which fruit. It's all the fruit. It's not fruits. It is fruit. And we 
are going to talk today about the fruit of gentleness. Gentle. Everybody say gentleness. Row, row, row your boat harshly down the stream, nobody ever said. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a, li- a box of chocolates. I mean, it's, it's not quite a dream all the time, is it? Uh, life is the torrent, the, 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 the turmoil, the tumult, the, 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 the watery, the, the rapids that are level five. And, and to be gentle in a life that's not just rowing your boat merrily down the, st- gently down the stream. It is like twists and turns and falls and bumps and logs and water, you know, log jams. And, and how are we to be gentle? in a crazy, non-gentle culture. That's what we want to unpack a little bit today. Let's start with the most important sermon ever preached in the history of mankind. And the first few verses of that sermon preached, that sermon preached by Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount, his inaugural address to humankind. And in Matthew 5, he gives these beatitudes, be-attitudes. And he says, here's what we ought to be. And here's who's really blessed in life. When we are being these things, we're really blessed. And he says right here in Matthew 5, 5, God blesses those who are gentle. The whole earth will belong to them. The whole earth will belong to them? Gentle people? Are you kidding me? What an extravagant, bold, audacious statement. In fact, it's hard for me to even believe that. When I look around and I see the world we live in, the whole earth will belong to the gentle. Well, there's a misunderstanding of the word gentle. In fact, the old English word for gentleness is meekness. In fact, in many of your translations in your Bible, it will say, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. But the same word for meekness and gentleness is the the Greek word protes. And it really is the word gentleness. And I wouldn't believe it either if it weren't the word of God that is the final authority for our lives. It is the breath of God to us. It is spoken by Jesus himself who is the truth, the way, the life. And so when Jesus speaks this, that the whole earth will belong to them, that there's an inheritance for those that understand gentleness. Wow. I can't just kind of say, well, yeah, sounds good on paper, looks good in a sermon, but actually you get into my place of business, you, you get married to my wife and you'll understand, you get this and that, you deal with my kids and I can't be gentle, I got I to gotta lay down the law, Walker, Texas Ranger around here. But the whole earth will belong to them is the promise of Jesus himself. In other words... You're going to do well this side of heaven. You're going to make it this side of heaven if you will embrace and understand and allow a supernaturally changed heart to produce gentleness in your life and through your life. Take your worship guide and on the back of it, there's some fill in the blanks. I'd love for you to do this. And the reason we do this is not just because we have a lot of free time on our hands. The reason I take my sermon, and I break it down and I put blanks in there. We're, we're, we, some people call us the blankety blank church. And, and it's because we have blanks or maybe not. I don't know. But, but we, we, 
on the back of it is the blanks. Once you write those down, because when you hear something and then you write it and then you read it and then you repeat it, it gets pushed. It gets it, it helps. It helps that supernatural changing of your heart. So I want you to take this first note. Let's write it down. Gentleness is really defined as strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not being jelly. It's not being all jelloey in your convictions and jello in being a man or a girl, you know, being a woman with, with strength. It, it, gentleness is strength under control. Like, like a whore, like a stallion who just the, the slight wisp of the tail shakes those muscles and just you can just see the rippling of the muscles on that horse it's like, and you just you just got all those ripples and they're strong and a horse that's a wild stallion when they get broken they don't become jello it actually means their strength comes under control the master can can use them can can navigate them the master who holds the reins can, can use that strength under control. And Jesus is not inviting you into a, a life where you get the, the strength sucked out of you and you just got to go to church and be this little weak person. And just only time you laugh is when you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. And, you know, you just, you, 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 you can be strong. <laughs> I'm all roll this morning. I didn't preach last week, so I'm all fired up and whatnot. A couple Red Bulls and an Americano from Cafe Aroma and I'm ready to go. Gentleness is that strength under control and the master, Jesus himself, is inviting you to go counterculture. It is the prideful who are really weak. It is the arrogant that are weak. It is those that have to get the last word in edgewise that are the weak. It's those that, that, that um, are going to yell at you at the top of their thumbs on Facebook that are really weak. Gentleness is not a sermon. In fact, I told Janet um, this morning, well, I'm about ready to go preach a sermon that I need to preach to myself. Because there's times I'm, I'm not, my strength isn't under control. I never raise a hand to my wife yet, and I don't plan on anytime soon. <laughs> it's not even funny. It's not even funny. But I can tell you I've lost my temper. I can tell you my kids can drive me nuts. I, I can struggle with this but if I'm to be the person God has called me to be the God-given potential inside me has to be surrendered to walking by the spirit and you too and can I tell you something if you're in this room and you've not you've not bowed a knee you've not given your heart to Jesus it's the center of your life your your savior and your lord you don't have to do anything I'm talking about live however you want you live however you want you're going to reap benefits from that that will be deadly but as Christ followers, you're, you have no choice. You don't get an option. Well, gentleness, no, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's the way I was raised, the way I was born. My daddy was a train wreck. I guess I'll be a train wreck too. You better get off the tracks when the train's coming through. 
I'm inviting you into a life that is surrendered, a heart that is supernaturally changed, that begins to model incredible strength under control. So let's unpack that today. We're going to talk about the benefits. There, there are incredible benefits when we live a life of gentleness. There, there are these benefits, eight benefits that I'm going to unpack today. Eight benefits that if you will begin to allow the Holy Spirit over time to develop this gentleness, because it's not about you restraining, you can't fake gentleness. It won't last. But if, the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit through surrendered heart and a love for Him and eating His Word and, 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 and spending time with Him, the more you spend time with Him, the more you know Him, the more you can become like Him and you understand His gentleness. There are benefits. Number one, write it down. Gentleness diffuses conflict. It, it, it blows the, the spark out of the fuse. It puts the pin back in the grenade. How many of you have ever dealt with some conflict with someone? Huh? Yeah. Uh, how many of you are sitting next to your conflict? No, I'm kidding. No, 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 no. Put your hands down. What are you doing? Gentleness, it diffuses the ticking time bomb. You come home and your husband has left the milk out again. It's milk. But there's just something that can just trigger the bomb and it explodes. Or you come home from, you know, you come home from the grocery store and you bought the wrong thing and something, it explodes. You know, gentleness diffuses conflict. A scripture that my parents had us memorize early on as kids it was Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The truth is, when someone is harsh with you, it is, it is just this ability within you to be harsh back without even trying. You can just be a harsh back without even trying. And as I've already mentioned, social media has only exponentially brought this to the survey. This is so huge that now, because we're not face-to-face -face or eye-to-eye, voice-to-voice, we see body language. Now that we're, we're, we're communicating back and forth on Facebook and, 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 and Instagram and Snapchat and you name it, we're communicating. It's so easy for us to escalate and have crazy conflict online and yet, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want the word of God to be the moral compass for the decisions we make and the life we live, a gentle answer turns away rash, uh, wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Number two, gentleness disarms critics. Being equally critical, getting in the mud and Running, you know, wallowing in the mud together does not disarm criticism. It only strengthens criticism. Criticism. Oh, it's nasty. It's ugly. It's like a national pastime these days. We're just critical of this person and that person. We don't even know them. We'll post stuff that is just critical of 
people. We'll think critical stuff. We'll drive by a house and be critical of the house. We'll, we'll, we'll hear somebody having a conversation. We'll just be cri- criticism. It, it's just sneaky and snaky. It even sounds like the, the you know, like a snake. You know, criticism. <laughs> it's also highly infectious. It's a highly infectious disease. Criticism. You just speak it out and people catch it like crazy. It just, it just, and they swallow it up and then they're critical. All oh, parents, parents, your kids are just consuming what you're critical with. You are teaching them through criticism. Be careful what you're teaching. But gentleness disarms critics. They don't have a leg to stand on. They can't, they can't keep fighting with someone who's strong but under control. You just can't, you can't keep picking a fight with a gentle person. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul the apostle, we respond gently when evil things are said about us. What? I don't, I'm not going to respond gently when things are said about me. You're going you're to get an earful. And we just feel like it's okay because we're justified because what they said wasn't right. How they said that wasn't true. You know how many things I've heard said about this church that aren't true? But can I tell you, I'm not going to spend my time chasing people down on Facebook. I got better things to do with my life. And so do you, Goober. So do you. You're say- Some of you are saying amen, but you were chasing them down last week. Not, not, because, not because they were talking about, about that church, but because they said this or that or the other. And you just, oh, you just get in it and it just, it just builds. You know the greatest thing that develops criticism and conflict in our life? You know the ingredient you add to it that's just like, whew, it's, like a, it's like a chia pet that just, or it's like, you know, it's like, it's like a, a spraying like this catalyst on something. You know what the ingredient is that just, whew, is a catalyst for conflict and criticism? Air. Giving it air. Giving it words. Talking about it. Something happens at, at, at the workplace and you start giving it air in the break room. And it just, it builds. And Jesus is calling us as Christ followers. Oh, that we would be known as a church full of strong Christ followers. But Christ followers that are strong under control. Gentle giant of a church. Gentle giant of a man. Gentle giant of a woman. We respond gently when evil things are said. Titus, Paul says, your conversation should be so sensible that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. But we love the debate. Now here's a tension, here's a tension that we face. Here's a tension we face. Am I saying back up off of what you believe and never confront stupidity? Of course I'm not saying that. You know, there was a moment in Jesus when he sees that the, uh, the money changers had exchanged the temple courts of the Gentiles for a place to gain a buck because everybody was bringing their sacrifices for Passover. And when they would come and bring their sacrifice for the festival, the, the temple priests and these money changers would basically say, oh, oh this, this sacrifice isn't good enough. This is not a spotless lamb, but we got some on sale for $19.99 over here and we'll sell them to you. And they were basically making a profit. It was this, it was this huge 
huge scheme that was going on. And Jesus goes, Indiana Jones on the temple. He braids, he braids a, a whip together. And he comes in, he kicks over the tables and whoosh, what's gentle about that? What can I say to you? Jesus could have wiped them out. Back in the Old Testament, you know, they call fire down for Elijah, calls fire down from heaven. It's like, consumes, consumes a sacrifice. Some kids are making fun of Elijah because he's bald. Don't make fun of bald people. I'm becoming one. I'm becoming one. And like bears come out and eat the dudes because they're making fun. Like Jesus, look, look, he could have been more harsh. He, but but, but he, he made a statement. He was strong. He was justified in his actions. But here's the deal. Until you're Jesus, okay, until you're the son of God, best that you not be braiding whips together and going into the Department of Transportation, okay? <laughs> best you not be coming in and kicking over our starting point table in the middle of the lobby, all right? Jesus still could have wiped us out like that and you know he did he was so grieved by us that he sent a flood and he wiped out the entire world but he also brought a rainbow that showed I'm also a gentle God I could wipe you out again but my strength is under control and you need to know that about me oh he could have wiped us all out a long time ago I'm so thankful for the grace and gentleness of Jesus that can correct us and then lovingly guide us with gentleness and holiness. Number three, gentleness is persuasive. Persuasive. Like people that exhibit a gentleness, you will, you will persuade people, I'm telling you. You know, back, you know, used to be the louder, you know, the louder you yell, the more you sell. Come on down to the furniture mart. <laughs> deals and deals and deals and deals and deals. Just ask this guy who bought a couch. He loves it. I bought this couch and I love it. Come on down. <laughs> Persuasive. Get it, get it, get it now. Do it, do it, do it now. Persuasive is like this loud and it's just like people are turned off by that these days. Gentleness is persuasive. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. The New Century Version says, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Some of you are married to the hard-headed. And you think that the more you tell them, they'll finally like, oh, I get it. Thank you for nagging me. And they'll appreciate my nagging. Nagging doesn't get through to the hard-headed. Nagging never works. And yelling only changes the formula. It only changes the formula for how you're raising your kids and how they're going to respond. It's like Pavlov's dogs. When he'd ring the bell, they start salivating because every time he'd feed them, he'd ring the bell. So when he'd ring the bell and there wasn't even food, they'd start salivating. Can I just say when your kids are off the chains and you yell, you, you, you just created a new formula that basically we're going to try and all just yell at the top of our lungs until we're all hoarse. And I don't say this from a place of perfection. I say it from a place of, of need in my own life, in my own 
parenting and my own father-son, father-daughter, husband-spouse relationship, husband-wife relationship. I, I have to lean into a supernaturally changed heart because sometimes gentleness for me has been trying to just, just maintain it with willpower. And I try to be transparent with you because none of us have it in us to be gentle on our own. We all have to lean in to the grace of Jesus on these things. Otherwise, culture will tell you how to live and will put a, will put a ring in your nose, will grab it and will drive you through the rest of your life. But Jesus, when he, when he guides us, he doesn't, grab, he doesn't take a ring and put it in our nose. He gently leads. He leads me beside still waters. <laughs> he restores my soul. <laughs> Mercy and grace, uh, mercies and goodness, they follow me. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not a cattle driver. He's a shepherd. He's a gentle shepherd. A gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. A wise, mature person is known for understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. It's not original with me, but, but I think this is a tweetable quote for you to put on Facebook or put out there on Twitter or Snapface or Twitface or whatever it is. <laughs> Snapbook. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. You're, you're telling it like it is. <laughs> you might get 17 likes. You might get comments on the thread that says, you go girl. Your ex-husband is a pig. Your ex-husband is a dog. Yeah, nobody, uh-uh, oh, huh, uh, oh, I know, you can get all the comments and likes and you feel good about that, or you can surrender and be gentle and be more like Jesus, and I'm asking us to take that path. You'll inherit the earth. You can inherit likes and comments and justified responses from the culture by being abrasive and critical. Or you can be more like Jesus. And it's just easier to choose the wide road. Pleasant and persuasive. Wise people are pleasant. Fools are like rude. Fools are out of control. Fools are not pleasant to be around. If your speech is negative all the time, you're not very smart. You're not very wise. And so gentleness begins to show the world. And it gives a persuasiveness to Christianity that I think has been missing. It's been missing. I think we've tried to beat people to death with the gospel. Versus give this beautiful story of the gospel. It's why when you come through this, you, you come through these doors, if you're expecting a pastor to beat the junk out of people, get on the soapbox, that's just not who we are. 
It doesn't mean we're light on sin. It doesn't mean that we're okay, that we're okay with staying not okay. But the truth is, it's okay not to be okay when you walk through the doors of Timber Creek Church. But it's not okay to stay that way because that's not the way God intended for your life to be. And an earmark of your life being moved and navigated towards your God-given potential is a life of strength under control. Number four, gentleness is sexy. No, I didn't put that. Gentleness is attractive. That's a better way to say it. Gentleness is attractive. It is. I mean, girl, you might be attracted to that guy all walking in like a bull in a china shop with the awesome V-neck of sweat and just, rah, I'll tell you how it is. Give it to me now. You, you might, maybe that's attractive. That's what one Janet over. Gentleness is attractive. L- listen, listen. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Put your hands up. No, don't do that. Gentleness is attractive. All the single ladies, tell me, tell me. You wouldn't appreciate a man like this. Now, married ladies, be cautious now because you probably agree too, but... As a man of God, Paul says to his protege, Timothy, pursue what God approves of. Pursue these things. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's not a weak man. That's a a man that's strong under control. And all the ladies said, "Mm mm-hmm. Attractive. Right? And ladies, you should be known for the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Can I tell you, I wasn't attracted to Janet's spirit when I first saw her. I couldn't see her spirit. All I could see was her body. (laughs) What? I know she loves this. Psychology class, cross the room. I wasn't like, "Mm, she's got a fine spirit. She looks like a beautiful Proverbs 31 woman. I would like to get to know her. Dude, she's hot. I want to be in her study group. But it did not take me long at all to see the real beauty in my wife. Man, she's beautiful. You're beautiful on the outside and the inside. But I'm telling you, her spirit is so attractive to me. That no matter who she's talking to. Now, there's sometimes you at a baseball game. She going to tell you how it is, umpire. I mean, spirit of boom, quee, quee gets all over her. Or whoever it is. But that's unfading. That's a beauty that's unfading. It is so precious to God. Number five, gentleness communicates love. Love is active. It's also personified in the book of 1 Corinthians 13. And you cannot love the way the Bible says for you to love until you experience a supernaturally changed heart. Because love is not an action alone. It is a person. And it's through the person of Jesus we know love. And then we act upon his convictions, character, and conduct. And how we communicate that, we communicate it with gentleness. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle 
with them. Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly. Man, my dad is a tender, gentle man, but he also spanked my butt. But he didn't, he, he, he didn't do it in anger. It was, it was strength under control. He, he never spanked me in a way that would have been abusive. It, it, was, it was through his, his gentleness that he corrected me. Rear them tenderly. Number six, gentleness earns respect. As some people that you'll work with or work for, that they're the kind of boss that they just demand your respect and they never earn it. And you, you know, you submit to authority. You submit to authority. It's a part of being like Christ. But if you're a boss in this room, if you're a manager, if you have people that you lead, whether it be volunteer or paid staff, gentleness is going to go a long way. You can be strong, but be under control. Gentleness earns respect. Look, look at Moses. Moses was a very meek and gentle man. In fact, he was more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow, what an accolade. Only two people described as gentle in the Bible, Moses and Jesus. Wow, to be known like that earns respect. Number seven, gentleness is a witness to unbelievers. At this church, we're after the unclaimed. We're not after making just our church more and more and more comfortable. That would be a huge mistake for the kingdom of God. God will lift his hand off of this church when we think that church is just about us. We have to be a witness to the unclaimed. A witness to the unbelievers. That's why we're going all in. And you saw Pastor Dan up here. And when it, the thing came across, the lower third came across the thing. It said Nacogdoches Campus Pastor. We don't even have a campus in Nacogdoches yet. But we're gearing up for it. You know why? You know why? Not because we just want to have another thing to do. Trust me. <laughs> Not because we just want to spend money. We want to be a witness to unbelievers. We, we think we do a pretty good job. And I say we, I'm not talking about the pastor, I'm talking about us. When you can invite your friends and they can be invested into this church and they can discover their God-given potential. I was seeing something from a guy who was invited at the, air, at the uh, airplane festival that we had a few, uh, you know, last year sometime. And him and his wife started coming to the church, connected. He posted a picture on Facebook of his dream team shirt and how God is changing his heart and his life and he's making a difference. And you know, that's what God wants. And he wants us to be a witness to unbelievers, but we have to do it in a way that's not just about knowing everything we're against. It's about knowing that we have strength under control. Always be prepared, Peter says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you're walking around as a Christian and you're looking a little hopeless and acting a little hopeless, people are going to see that. And that speaks something. You ought to have hope. Belief. We're going to make it. We can do this. 
And you got to be prepared to give an answer. Listen, going to church, I, well, I believe in Jesus because I went to church and, and, you know, my mom dragged me there. And, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. I just kind of grew up as a Christian, grew up as a churchgoer. That's not going to be enough when you are bombarded by the challenges of the enemy that even in the garden, he basically was saying to Adam and Eve, did God really say, is this really real? Is that just a bunch of hocus pocus? Isn't that in the word of God, just kind of a man-made thing? Isn't it just kind of picked apart and this and that? And I want to promise you, if you look on the internet, you're going to find all kinds of different thoughts from Brett 777 at yahoo.com that, that, that is 21 years old, single, can't get married, and is living in the basement of his parents' house, but they've all of a sudden become the authority of God in your life because you're listening to them and watching everything they say on Facebook. And we got the Apostle Paul and Billy Graham and Brett 777. And yet people are listening to what they want to hear and it's so shocked. The Apostle Paul, even in, in the book of Thessalonians, Galatians, he was shocked that people were so easily walking away. Might I suggest that the more we can emulate and model the heart of Jesus and strength under control, maybe the more attractive Christianity should be and is when we're acting like Jesus in our everyday life. Look what he goes on to say. Give the reason for the hope that you have. The Bible goes on to say right there, and do it with a brutal brutality. Do it with all caps. Actually, but do this with gentleness and respect. They'll know we're Christians by our love for one another. Number eight, gentleness makes me more like Jesus. If there's anyone to be more like my son was asking just the other day, Dad, can you buy me a mouth guard when basketball season comes? Because when I go up to shoot a free throw, I want to pull it out and chew on it like Steph Curry. <laughs> I said, you don't want it so your teeth don't get knocked out? No, I want it so I can look like Steph Curry when I'm shooting a free throw. <laughs> what? <laughs> Gentleness doesn't make you more like your grandma. But can I tell you, if your grandma was a gentle giant, why wouldn't you want to be like your grandma? Gentleness makes me more like Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says in Matthew 11. All you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke that connects two oxen and actually leads them through the field. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We can't do this on our own. You cannot fake it till you make it when it comes to gentleness. You remember, remember Moses, as I was talking about Moses earlier, who was known and, and, and earned respect. We read this together. Moses was a very meek and gentle man. In fact, he was more gentle from anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses killed a dude. He saw a soldier beating another Hebrew and he killed him. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he got the tablets, the, the commandments of the Lord. And he comes down and the Hebrews' children are in the desert having an orgy and serving a false god. They've made this golden calf. And he gets mad and angry and he throws the tablets down that were handwritten by God himself. And later Moses, God says, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that again. You write them. And so Moses had to go back up and write them by himself. You're going to learn your lesson. Don't be throwing that down. 
I'm not rewriting that. They were thirsty and they needed something to drink. And God said, Moses said, hey, do it this way. And, and God wasn't responding. So Moses slammed the staff on a rock and water burst and he didn't follow God. In fact, he didn't get to go into the promised land with the rest of the people because he was out of control. Yet, yet, the Bible records him as a gentleman more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth is because even because of his past, when he, when he was confronted with the goodness of God and had a surrendered heart, and it wasn't about the willpower because Moses didn't have enough restraint to keep himself from hitting the rock. But as he continued to allow Jesus, God himself, to, to maneuver and supernaturally change his heart, Bible records him as a gentle man. Do you know, when we talk about practicing gentleness, you know one of the biggest things that keeps you from being gentle? Stress. Stress builds and you blow it. Am I right? Mm -hmm. How many of you have zero stress in your life? Okay, those of you that raised a hand, you're liars. <laughs> or you are naive. And so what we think is, if I can reduce my stress then I can do what I need to do. And that's willpower. That's morally good. That's not supernaturally changed heart. Because guess what? You reduce the stress in the marriage and there's going to be stress with the kids. You reduce stress with the kids, there's going to be stress at work. You reduce stress at work, there's going to be stress in the finances. You reduce stress in the finances, there's going to be stress in the, on Fox News. You reduce stress on Fox News, there's going to be stress in your marriage again. It's just a vicious cycle. And it's not stress that you're really dealing with. It's how you're responding to stress that's causing the trouble that you're in. Because stress is stress and it's never gonna go away. But your approach to it, if we could approach stress with gentleness, it would radically transform our lives. And that's why Jesus says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And these fruit will supernaturally begin to develop in your life. So how do we practice this Monday through Saturday? We're hearers of the word. Let's be doers also. How do we do this tomorrow? Let me give you three super simple ways. Number one, when someone serves me, I'll be understanding, not demanding. Nothing gets, I mean, there's a lot of things that get me riled up, but I'll tell you something that gets me big riled up. When I go out with people and they for a second got an attitude with a waiter, oh, you going, uh-uh, uh-uh, spirit of slap all over me. They all get an attitude with the waiter because their queso wasn't out on time. Like they were born to bring you your queso. Like they want nothing more to do in life than to make sure your chips are nice and fresh. And they're out serving, trying to make a living for their family, trying to work, and we're upset, and we get so demanding. I've been waiting here for... So, see, here's what's going to happen now. Here's what's going to happen. You've heard it. You've heard me say it. And now you're going to go out to eat this afternoon, and your waiter's going to mess something up. And now you have an opportunity. 
and you're going to remember what Jeremy said and what the Bible talks about when it, when it talks about sir, you know, uh, those around us and how to be kind and gentle. And, and you're going to say, thank you. And you're going to leave a juice card to invite them back to Timber Creek and a big old tip. And if you don't leave a big old tip, do not leave anything from Timber Creek Church. I'll be understanding, not demanding. Don't just think about your own affairs, your own queso. But be interested in others too and what they're doing. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I've said it. I've said it enough. I've memorized it. It's not, it's not an accolade for me. It's just something that I do. And you know what? I want, I want waiters to know I'm a pastor and I'm not going to lord it over them. In fact, when I'm on a plane, I don't want people to know I'm a pastor. And they say, hey, what do you do for a living? I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> but I don't even want them to know I'm a pastor. I want them to know I love Jesus. And so my family, we have a habit and I mentioned it before. Let me mention it again. When we go out to eat nine out of 10, not all the time, but nine out of 10, well, when we receive the food, we, we don't want to make it awkward. Do not make this awkward, okay? Grab my hand, I'm going to anoint you with oil, I'm going to pray over you. Oh, <laughs> There's no oil but olive oil on the salad, okay? <laughs> Dousing them with vinaigrette. <laughs> Praying healing. Easy now. But what I do say is, hey, we're going to pray in just a minute. When we do, is there anything we could pray with you or your family about. Simple. Hey, we're going to pray for our food in just a minute. Before we do, anything we can pray for you or your family about. And you'd be surprised how open that moment is. Sometimes it takes them so off guard, oh, world peace. <laughs> Honestly, I've had that like five times. <laughs> like, world peace, oh Lord. Okay, yes, thank you. But, but many times, um, several times, in fact, I remember one time at Posadas, she immediately began to cry right at the table. And, and I was saying in a minute, and she grabbed my hand, she grabbed Janet's hand. I had a chip in my hand, you know, she's grabbing my hand. <laughs> and she said, my husband told me yesterday, he doesn't want to be married to me again. He don't want to be married to me anymore. And I don't know what to do. We have two kids and he says he's done. He doesn't want to be a dad. He doesn't want to be a husband. And we prayed and tears dripped on the back of my palm as we just prayed a simple prayer, not a long prayer, not a loud prayer, but just a heartfelt, gentle prayer. It's amazing how when we are understanding and take the time, how easy of a, a moment, how, how that just a moment can be made in that little bitty, just, just meal that you're having. Number two, when someone disagrees with me, I'll be tender without surrender. Just because you're gentle doesn't mean that you have to back down on what you believe. You can be tender and gentle, but you do not have to back up. You don't have to retreat. You, you do not have to surrender your, your beliefs. You can stand up for what's right, but do it in gentleness. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. I mean, this is like, this is Facebook 101 right now 
in groups that I'm with of pastors, preachers, preachers. And Paul gives a very clear statement of scripture in the book of Timothy to his protege about not quarreling with one another. Even when it seems that they are strong on their opinions but weak in the faith department, remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Here's another statement. I never get my point across by being cross. You should never go, you, you never, you can be right, but when you're rude, you're wrong. Be gentle, treat them gently. And number three, when someone disappoints me, I'll be gentle, not judgmental. Be gentle, not judgmental. Anybody ever had someone disappoint you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will disappoint you. You will have circumstances that are out of control that will become disappointments. You will have people that are unchangeable that will be disappointment. You, you will have uh, problems that are unexplainable and it's disappointed. You can be disappointed with Jesus because you've prayed a certain way and he didn't respond in the way you wanted him to respond and you can be disappointed with Christ. You're going to face disappointment. But in the disappointments, you can be gentle, not judgmental. Now listen close. Because I know that's the last point on your notes. And for all you note takers, you're like, you're thinking about the roast or you're thinking about taco casa. Chill. I'm going to get you out in just a minute. Because what I'm about to say, we're going to wrap all this up. God's dealing with some hearts today. His gentle spirit is nudging you today to respond to this message. And we want to take a moment to do that. But let me finish with some of these scriptures. The Bible says in Galatians 6, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. They messed up. They treated you wrong. They, 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 they violated a trust. They sinned against you and they sinned against God. Those of you that are spiritual should restore him gently. And, and here, Paul goes on to say, but watch yourself or you may be tempted too. And you know the law of reaping what you sow? When we're harsh with people, guess what we are sowing? Harshness. And when you need someone to be gentle with you, the more harshness you reap, the more harshness you sow, the chances are harshness you may reap. So watch it. Nobody's above temptation. Someone messes up, someone makes a mess of their life, makes a mess of a situation. And, and you, you want to just, you, you, you just take them out with your words. Watch it. You could be tempted that same way. And let's be like Jesus in those moments. Let me tell this when we're done. In the Old Testament, there's this little book. You could skip it. If you, you, could, you, you may not even know it's there because it's so small. But it's a little book of Ruth. Ruth is this Moabite. She's not Jewish. She's not in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She's not a, a, a God server in the understanding of the one true God of Jehovah. She's a Moabite. She marries young. Her husband dies very soon after, and she's left as a widow. Her sister-in-law's husband dies. Her mother-in-law, her husband her father-in-law, he dies. 
and they're left to fend for themselves. When the Bible talks about taking care of the widows, there was no system. There was no uh, program. There was, they, were, they became beggars and were soon dead because they had no support. And there was a process where the next person in line in the genealogy were to take care of them and they couldn't find anybody close. They, they didn't really know what to do. Yet they band together and Ruth loved her mother-in-law, didn't leave her out to dry, said, hey, we're gonna do this. Your people are gonna be my people. Your God's gonna be my God. Wherever we go, we're gonna go together. And they, they just go after life. And they find themselves back in Israel and their Boaz, a, a Jewish man, successful farmer, has large crops, large fields, is bringing in the harvest. And he's, uh, he can be a God follower, but they were also running away from some of the law practices. Even in the book of, uh, even in the law of Moses and God, there was uh, laws that don't harvest all your crop to the edges. Leave the edges for the poor. Leave the edges for people that need food. But they'd kind of forgotten all that and they were just whatever they could get, man. I mean, just edges and all they were harvesting and so what would happen is these guys would line up with the with the baskets and they would harvest the grain and they would they would leave the stock and put the grain in the in the bucket and because they're just running and trying to get it done there could be leftovers left in the field and if they were shrewd they'd go back and get the leftovers but the poor people would come behind them and just pick up the little grain because they needed something to make their little tortillas they needed something to have a little bit of bread And Boaz, his eyes catch this woman, Ruth, who's in this whole process of collecting grain for her and her mother-in-law. And he's attracted to her and he's, uh, there's this conversation, his heart goes out to her and, and he treats her with kindness instead of kicking her off the field. He, he treats her with kindness. In fact, he tells the people collecting the grain, he says, hey, leave extra, leave, leave extra behind. Don't take it all in. We don't got to make that much money. Just, just leave it behind. And Ruth sees how Boaz treats her, a non-Jewish woman. And in Ruth chapter two, Ruth says to Boaz, you're very kind to me. You've made me feel better by speaking gently. What's well, this whole love deal? They fall in love. They get married. Uh, Boaz becomes this foreshadowing of Jesus. He redeems them and their family and do you know that the great grandson of Ruth is someone very famous the great grandson of Ruth is King David and King David with I mean a warrior's heart but yet gentle I mean he he could he could slay giants and write poems you know and he just had this gentle spirit. Did he mess up royally? Yes. Do we know him as a man after God's own heart? Yes. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, for being so gentle with us. But from King David, he hands the reins of the, of the throne off to Solomon. And Solomon's known as the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon takes that same gentleness. Did he have mess ups? Yeah. But do you know through the line of David and Solomon and all of that, that's where Jesus, like the lineage Jesus is connected to that line of people who messed up big, that weren't very gentle, that, that had royal pains and mess ups. And yet he shows that he can use anybody, anytime with anything in the past to become something new. But here's the danger. 
Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. And we see it with the great-grandfather of Boaz. We see it in David. We see it in Solomon. But then Solomon dies and gives the reins over to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam's a young leader, and he's got to figure out how to lead because he's in the shadow of David. He's in the shadow of Solomon. Those are some big shadows. Those are big shoes to fill. Wouldn't you agree? He's got to figure out what to do. So he actually is smart, and he goes, asks some counsel. He gets wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And he goes in 1 Kings 12 to the old leaders in Israel. And the old leaders told him, hey, listen, listen, Rehoboam, if you'll truly serve these people and you speak to them in a gentle way, they'll always be loyal to you and do anything you ask. You want to roll this kingdom, Rehoboam? Do it with gentleness, strength under control. He says, okay, guys, thanks. I've taken some good notes, putting it, putting it in my phone. Thank you so much. He then goes to Buffalo Wild Wings with his young guys, the young bucks, the, the, you know, the, the, the up and coming And he says, hey guys, what do you think we should, how do you think I should rule? And the young advisors said, you got to be tough. Prove that you're the authority. Show everyone that you are in charge by being unbending and demanding. And the advice Rehoboam took was the advice of the young guys. And in a matter of of a short season, the nation of Israel split in two. It crumbled before their very eyes. There was all kinds of division, all kinds of disunity because Rehoboam took the advice of culture that said, be a man's man. Don't don't give anybody an inch, they'll take a mile. And the ones that had seen David and seen Solomon and seen the activity of God, they said, oh, gentleness is a God thing. Be gentle with one another, Timber Creek. Be sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. There is nothing gentle about a crucifixion. There is nothing gentle about a crown of thorns and a trio of nails suspending our naked Savior in front of a crowd who mocked and jeered. Yet, in that vulnerable state, in an excruciating death sentence, He says, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. When he could have been angry, when he could have said, I'll show you who I really am. He actually showed us who he really is. A gentle God who's full of strength. He says to the crook next to him today, you can be with me in paradise. He's a gentle savior who's not standing looking at you with arms crossed, mad at you, waiting to slap you on the face with a belt. He's the Jesus that would go through all of that hell on earth with love and kindness and gentleness and peace and patience and faithfulness and self-control. no way you can do that on yourself, on your own.
But if you let the same spirit that was with Jesus when he died, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the promise of the word is that same spirit can be with you and will give you strength under control. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your eyes, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you've not experienced the loving arms of Christ, he loves you run to him today and it's nothing you could do in this moment it's everything he's done see it's not about you going and making 17 phone calls and making things right and starting to give in the offering making sure that you say this and say that you have to simply accept and believe in faith it is through it is through grace it is by faith through grace that you are truly saved it's about what he's done and if you're here today and you need to ask jesus to be the savior of your life the gentle savior who's so strong but so gentle and kind to give you today to make things right with him if you need to make things right, first time and the first time in a long time, would you put a hand straight up in the air? Let me pray with you right now. I need to make things right with Jesus today. The gentle Savior, I want to run to him today. Hands up all over the place. If you're watching online, maybe you would find a spot where you would say this prayer with me. But in your own words, you would simply say, Jesus, thank you for being patient with me and gentle with me and not being mad at me today. And I've tried to be my own Savior, my own Lord, and I don't want to be on the throne. I want you to be the center of my life. I want you to be on the throne of my heart. I give you full control of my life. Change me from the inside out. I'm tired of trying to change me from the outside in. Thank you, Lord, for a supernaturally changed heart that you will give me in this moment as I ask your forgiveness and ask your guidance. May you walk with me and may I walk by your spirit starting now and never stop. For those of you in the room, maybe you have been struggling with gentleness. It's not your MO. It's not easy for you. Maybe because it was a generational hand-me-down because dad acted away or mom acted away or, or, or granddad or whoever. And it's just what you've been around. It's just like, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And, and you realize that there's some edges you need to carve off, but you've tried and you can't. And you need a supernaturally changed heart when it comes to gentleness. If that's you today, would you raise a hand and let me pray over you? You're not raising a hand to me. You're raising a hand to God. And simultaneously, God, raise a hand because God is raising his, he's bringing his hand down. He's grabbing you by the hand today, not to shake you right, but to guide you and lead you. Let him grab your hand today. God, thank you for being gentle with us and patient with us and leading us to repentance and leading us to a supernaturally uh, changed heart and a supernaturally driven life. I pray for gentleness to be known in the lives of the men and women and children and grandchildren of Timber Creek Church. That we can be strong and we can stand for what's right and, and we can be like velvet-covered anvils. But may we be known with gentleness that comes from Jesus. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong yet in control God.